But some people struggle not with thinking too much of their bodies. They struggle because they don't think enough of their body. And sometimes that can actually be rampant in religious circles like ours. Because oftentimes in religions, we have this thought. We think, well, the body is just this shell and my spirit's what's most important. So it's really important for me to take care of my spirit, my soul, and the body isn't as important, and someday I will be liberated from this body and my, my spirit will be with God, and so I just, it's just a shell for 70 or 80 years. Well, that's problematic thinking because that's not actually what the Bible teaches because when Jesus rose from the dead, he had a glorified body, and the Bible teaches us that you too will have a glorified body, and the goal isn't to escape this body, but for God to glorify, redeem, and glorify this body. If you're not careful and you think too little of your bodies, then this is what happens. You begin to think, oh, well, well this body is just a shell. What's most important is who I am. My identity is really found on the inside. And so my identity comes from the inside out, and so what's really important is what's on the inside, so then I can do whatever I want on the outside, so I can do whatever I want. So self-expression of my inner identity becomes the highest priority in society, and then we do whatever we want to to our bodies because it's just a body, and I need to get my identity expressed from the inside out, and that becomes problematic in a society as well. You can also have a problem as you are looking at images on your phone and I say, well, you shouldn't look at that. And you say, oh, it's just a body. That's the, that's the product of not thinking enough about the human body. So whether we think too little of the human body or whether we think too much of the human body, there's dangers on both sides. And so we should see, well, what does God teach us about our bodies from Scripture? So we want to read together Psalm 139, 13 to 15 to help scripture inform us on how we should think about our bodies. So we have it on the screen for you, and I'd actually like you to read it along with me because I think it's important for us to let these verses sink in to me personally. Not for you just to hear them, but for you to actually speak them this morning. And so we'll read them together. And here we go. For you formed me inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Thank you. So that's 139, 13 to 15. I'm really just gonna focus in on one verse primarily this morning, and that's the verse that says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And what I want us to do is actually start at the end of that sentence with the word made. And for a moment, I'd like us to just meditate on what does it mean that I am made? What are the implications that I could draw out of that if I meditate on just the fact that I, I'm made? You sit on that for a while and you begin to think, okay, well then who made me? And I understand we might say, well, it was mother and father, but we want to actually go deeper than that. Who made me? And Psalm 139 says that God made you. Okay, so God made me. So if I'm tall or short, if I have a certain DNA, if I have a certain body type, then who, who gets the credit for my strengths and my abilities? Oh, my maker. Who gets the blame for where I fall short or for where I can't as well as they can? Well, okay, well, well God receives that because he made you. Well, then 
there are, that means there are things that are just outside of my control, right? Because as we meditate on the fact that we are made, it should produce in us a level of humility. Oh, wow. The maker is in control and not me. But to dwell on the idea that I am made should also get us to the point where we can see that I am special. If I am made, then I am special. I mean, I'm gonna let Max Lucado make the point for us this morning. He wrote a wonderful little children's book called You Are Special. And uh, let me read it for you. It's story time. We've already done our exercises. It's like kindergarten class. Um, The Wemmicks were small wooden people carved by a woodworker named Eli. I'm gonna move at a faster pace. Um, So the Wemmicks were small wooden people carved by a woodworker named Eli. Each Wemmick was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes. Some were tall and others were short. Each Wemmick had a box of gold star stickers and gray dot stickers. The wooden people went around the village sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones got stars. Wemmicks with rough wood or chipped paint got dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could jump over tall boxes or sing pretty songs. Others, though, could do little, and they got dots. Punchinello was one of those. He tried to jump high things like others, but he always fell. So the Wemmicks would give him dots, and then he would try to explain why he fell, and he would say something silly, so the Wemmicks would give him more dots. He deserves lots of dots, the wooden people would say. After a while, Punchinello believed them, I guess I'm not a good Wemmick, he decided, so he stayed inside most of the time. When he did go outside, he hung out with other Wemmicks who had lots of dots because he felt better around them. One day he met a different kind of Wemmick named Lucia, and she had no dots or stars. The Wemmicks admired Lucia for having no dots, so they would give her a star, but it would fall off. Others gave her a dot for having no stars, but it wouldn't stay either. That's the way I want to be, thought Punchinello, so he asked Lucia how she did it. It's easy, she replied. Every day I go to visit Eli the woodcarver. Why? Well, you'll go find out if you go see him. Then Lucia turned and skipped away. But will he want to see me? Punchinello wondered. Later at home, he sat and watched the wooden people giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself, and he decided to go see Eli. Punchinello walked up the narrow path and stepped into Eli's shop. His eyes grew big. The stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch on tiptoe to see the top of the workbench. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here. And then he heard his name. Punchinello. The voice was deep and strong. How good to see you. Come, let me have a look at you. Punchinello looked up. You know my name? Of course. I made you. Eli picked him up and set him on the bench. It looks like you've been given some bad marks, said the maker. I don't mean to, Eli. I truly try hard. Punchinello. I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No, you shouldn't either. What they think doesn't matter. All that matters is what I think, and I think you are pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me special? Why? I'm not very talented and my pain is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli spoke very slowly. Because you are mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. 
I came here because I met Lucia, said Punchinello. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly, because she has decided that what I think is more important than what others think. The stickers will only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about the stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it will take time. For now, come to see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as Punchinello was leaving, you are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. So Max Lucado makes the point better than I can. You are special. You meditate on the fact that you are made, and scripture will lead you to the conclusion that therefore you are special because you are the makers. You are made. What I like about Psalm 139, though, is it talks a little bit about how we were made. Now, it's poetic language, I understand, but I think the poetic language is making a point. So it says in verse 13 that he knit me together in my mother's womb. It says in verse 15 that he intricately wove me. I like this imagery because sometimes what we do when we think about the body is we put things in categories, don't we? And then there's a name for each of the doctors we go visit, and I can't keep up with all the different categories that we have created. Um, So that's helpful, but it has its limitations. For example, how does our body relate to our brain? Is the brain a part of the body, or, or is it separate from the body? What about our conscience? What about soul and spirit? And and think of all the categories. Mental, emotional, volitional, that that means the ability to make decisions. Moral, physical, spiritual. Where does the body end and the spirit begin? And where does the spirit end and the body begin? And, And scripture is saying, oh, listen, listen, you are intricately woven together, knit together in your mother's womb. And so you are a package. You don't just have a body, you are a body. You don't just have a spirit, you are a spirit. But I don't understand where this begins and that ends. And God says, yeah, right, because you're so knit together. So I'm sure you can spot the problem in this sentence, right? But you've heard it maybe before. Oh, sex, that's just physical. Well, no, that's, that's not true. It's certainly physical, but it's also emotional and not to be volitional and it's also spiritual Food, well, food's just physical. We have to eat to keep our physical body alive. No. Food is emotional. Food is volitional. Food is spiritual. And we will make that point in just a few minutes whenever we interact with food in a way that reminds us of Christ's death and, and, and sacrifice on the cross. And so you, when we see how intricately woven together we are, I think it helps us in some key ways. Obviously, Max Lucado's already made the point that it really helps us see how valued we are, how special we are, and we find our identity not in necessarily this body and this soul, but in our maker, and he has made us, and that is where I will find my identity. But it also helps bring some significance to our everyday life. Because if we're always saying, oh, so sometimes... Christians can fall into bad thinking, and they think, okay, well, on Sunday mornings, I gather and I worship, and that's spiritual, and then on Mondays, I go to my job, and that's labor, and that's like physical and mental, 
But that's not, I don't think, how God wants us to think about our lives. He intricately wove us together. And so when you sit here on a Sunday morning to worship, it is spiritual. But you stand and you sit and you sing and you look and you hear and you interact with your physical body. And so all of life is intricately woven together. And when you go to work, it's not just a physical act of your body and your mind. It is a spiritual act. That's why scripture gives us verses like 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3, 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. From your recliner to the church pew, from the crib to the hospice bedside, it is all intricately woven together, body and spirit. It all has value and it should all have significance to you. And as you think of yourself, whether you're tall or short or wide or thin, whether you're gifted with your hands or you're with your ears or with your eyes or with your mouth, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, God made you the way he wanted you to be. And so you should be who you are and I should be who I am and we will complement each other and we will support one another and we will be the body of Christ. And hopefully it will help us who are plagued with body image issues and plagued with comparison to see our bodies in this way. That's just the word made. Let me just briefly talk about fearfully and wonderfully. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is the point in the sermon where most preachers would shift and talk about the glories of the body, which I trust you can do with a Google search when you get home. Our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made and from top to bottom, you can see just how amazing the human body is. What I'd rather do is circle us back to Genesis chapter one and see that we are fearfully and wonderfully made because we are made in the image of God. And to bear the image of God is fearful and wonderful. So let me remind you of what Genesis 1, 26 to 28 says. It said, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and over the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And the rain is back. It is fearful and wonderful to bear the image of God. But it's appropriate for you to say, well, I don't know what that means. So you can Google that later too. And what you'll see is there's a whole bunch of things written on what it means. So some people think it means the ability that for reason, for free will, for interacting in relationships, for creativity, for ethical conduct. As you dig for a while, you'll begin to see like, okay, this is interesting, isn't it? The philosophers think the image of God means reason. And the artist thinks the image of God means creativity. And the counselors think the image of God means we can connect in relationships. And I think it's a little bit of all of it, and it's pretty complicated. But what we want to do is just make it simple for you, right? We want to make it simple so you can go home and explain it to your children. So let me give you two illustrations briefly for what the image of God means. The first one is a statue. This is the best I could come up with. But it is a statue. So the image of God means you're a statue. So let me explain it. When Moses wrote this thousands of years ago, right, God inspired Moses to sit down and write Genesis chapter one. And at that time in the ancient Near East, you would have had kings who were ruling an empire, ruling a group of people. You didn't have the internet, you didn't have cameras, you didn't have billboards along the the side of the highway. And so how would the king who 
was really playing God, defining good and evil, exercising authority, and ruling over a group of people. How would that king maintain rule and authority in the far reaches of his empire? He would put a statue there. And that statue would bear his image. And so then as the people that were under his rule and authority, they would have a connection to the king because there would be something in their town square that bore his image. In the same way that that statue is not the king, it resembles the king. In the same way, when God is saying, I'm creating man in my image, he is saying, I am putting statues out into the earth that represent my authority. That's why he says, have dominion over the fish and over the birds, and and to care for creation. It's because that's what he's saying. He's saying, you're my representatives. You're living, breathing statues. For you who have children, just think night at the museum. You are a statue come to life, living and breathing, and your role is to exercise authority on behalf of God so that his goodness can reign in this earth. You are a statue. Next week we will talk about it's all broken, and we rule in broken ways, and there's brokenness in our bodies, and there's brokenness in how we are reigning. Nevertheless, the image of God can be understood as a statue, we are called to represent God, to resemble God out into the world. This is not the person this was meant for. This is not God, and I am not God, but I am created in his image to represent him to the world that he has created. Illustration number two, a mirror. is another good way to think about what it means to be created in the image of God. It's not hard to go through scripture and find a verse that says that God is light. And so God is light in our illustration, and I am the mirror. I am created in his image, and I reflect him to this world. So now I bear his image. As the light hits this, then the light is reflected off. And so into a dark world, I am created in his image. I reflect his light onto this world. I bear his image, and I shine it out there. And where I shine his image, light comes into the darkness, and good things come. And this is what happened in the Garden of Eden, and this is what's going to happen to you later today and tomorrow, is either Satan's going to whisper in your ear or your own sinful flesh is going to whisper into your ear and say, turn that mirror around and see the goodness. Yeah, maybe, maybe I will. There's a lot of goodness out there. What, where is the goodness coming? Well, that's good. <laughs> that's why I'm lighting up the world. Wow, that's wonderful. No wonder everywhere I turn, it's goodness. Yes. But when we do that, we become so obsessed with ourself and vanity and pride, consumed with our own image. All we do is cast a shadow. All we do is cast a shadow. And so what Jesus does, when we trust in him, we look to the scriptures, we allow them to shape our minds and our hearts, It empowers us to turn this around and to shine his light into this world. You can turn the lights back on. So that's why we make so much of Christ. That's why we're gonna close our service looking at his body and his blood. His body and his blood. Because I do a really poor job of reflecting him to this world. I often just turn that mirror around and look at myself, and I become self-focused in a given day. But we pause at the end of our service to remind ourselves of Jesus and his death on the cross, because he didn't, he wasn't created in the image of God. No, no, scripture says that Jesus 
is the exact image of God. In John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so we close our service by looking to Jesus. Through his sacrifice on the cross, we have the power to turn the mirror. We are trapped in self-worship, and he empowers us through his forgiveness, through the identity that he has given us in Christ. We are no longer slaves to our own passions, but we can turn the mirror around and living according to our original design from our maker. So we want to remember Jesus. As I give you a moment of silence here in just a second to talk to God, you can ask him to help you turn your mirror. You can confess to him if you've failed to represent him well. You can then receive his forgiveness because it's freely given by grace and you can allow him to transform you. On the screens while we have this moment of silence, we're gonna have 2 Corinthians 3.18 and it says this, we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I love this verse. So I think we can apply it and say that as we take this moment and we meditate in this moment of silence on his body broken, on his blood shed, the glory of Christ on the cross, then what that can do is that can transform us just one degree more like Jesus. Just one degree. If you can make a 180 degree turn this week, praise God. But maybe today, through a realization of Jesus' amazing grace and forgiveness, it creates just a one degree transformation. That's a glorious transformation as well. Let's spend a moment in silence talking to the Lord.